Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. How do you create and deliver the ultimate sales warrior? Jason Forrest, the CEO and founder of Forrest Performance Group, helps organizations recruit, assess, and train the ultimate sales warriors to drive results. The FPG philosophy is comprised of mindset, winning the mental war, language, communicating persuasively, and process, adopting proven processes to join the top 1%. Jason is a well-known speaker, the author of several best-selling books, and a pioneer in recruiting and training top sales and management talent. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Jason shares how to create the ultimate sales warrior, how to create a winning 90-day onboarding plan, why you need to hire what he calls gumps, what are and how to release the four mental leashes, and just so much more. Please take a listen to this insightful and inspirational episode of the Revenue Engine Podcast. So super excited to be here today with Jason Forrest, the CEO and founder of Forrest Performance Group. Forrest Performance Group helps organizations recruit, assess and train the ultimate sales warriors to drive results. So welcome, Jason, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to just unpack your story and learn more about this ultimate sales warrior. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. That's my whole my whole existence is based upon igniting the pride, purpose, and respect professional selling. So whatever I can do to help, I'm here. That's awesome. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about your career journey and sort of your backstory leading to founding Forest performance group. You've had such an incredible background with so many accomplishments. You know, you have a number of honors, awards, publications. So maybe let's start with maybe how and what, I guess, led you to starting your own business over, I think it's like 11 years ago. You know, what was there sort of an aha moment? What was that if there was one? Well, just, I mean, just the, the simple concept of my my father grew up in my father's jewelry store. He has a, a kind of an old mom and pop jewelry store in, in Dallas, Texas. And then my mom is a debate a debate coach growing up. And then my uh, Sunday school teacher was Zig Ziglar. And so I just kind of grew up in this debate, speaking, sales, motivational world. When I was a kid, my dad was always into stuff like Silva Mind Control and Jim Rohn and just kind of grew up with all that. And and um, so I, bought, I knew I wanted to be in sales my, my whole life. And But when I became the head of, of sales training for a Fortune 500 company, I realized that there was just not a lot of sales training companies out there that, that I, I thought did the way they trained the way they should. So, so we've really disrupted the sales training industry by combining three things. Number one, a, um, a program-based approach. So most sales training companies are event-based and you, you wouldn't get on a plane with a pilot that said, hey, I went to a one-day event on how to fly, you know, buckle up for safety. <laughs> But yet we we ask, yeah, but we ask, you know, sales reps to have a million dollar quota and we give them a book to read or, or you know, a seminar. And so I thought that was that was nuts. And so I think a program based approach is important. And then the second thing is teaching the mindset. Comp- there's a mindset element of everything. Uh, a book that I wrote is called The Mindset of a Sales Warrior. And it's about removing the resistance, the mental resistance that holds people back. 
And then the third is teaching them a language and a process, which I think is important. I think a lot of times the training out there is very too high. It's too high level to teach people kind of what to do or why to do it, but not how to do it. And so, so again, we want to disrupt all of that by, by doing things very differently. So when you first started your business, you started with that focus on sales training, right? But the business has evolved to recruiting and assessment as well. So what sort of led to that transformation or progression to really broaden the scope to include these other areas? Sure. So our, our vision statement is to deliver the ultimate sales warrior. So if you kind of just you know start with that concept of what, what is our vision, well, we, we do that in several different ways. So, so how do we deliver the ultimate sales warrior? And again, it's training obviously is one of them, but one of the things that I learned uh, when working with organizations on the training side is that there's there's a, a few components that need to happen to create the the, the revenue that a, a company is looking for. And that's what this whole podcast is all about is increasing revenue. And so there's a few things that need to happen. So number one, um, you have to have cult- cultural buy-ins. Whenever you're trying to create a new initiative, new strategy, there has to be cultural buy-in from the C-suite. Number two is you have to have managers that are coaching whatever that behavioral or sh- behavior or strategy is in the field. You have to have Managers acting like a, a Nick Saban or a Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and really coaching those concepts. And then number three is you have to have a training program that's relevant to what's happening in the real world. So, you know, adapting to selling via Zoom now versus face-to-face. And then the fourth thing is you have to hire correctly. And and I call them gumps. So <laughs> I, I get to hire the right, the right people. And what I found, yeah, what I found is, is that my company could do a great job of, of helping people on the training side, the management coaching side, as well as the culture side. But if, if it was left up to them and they hired incorrectly, our training program just didn't have the same impact as if they hired the right person. And so, so that led us to disrupting the recruiting industry as well, because we, we couldn't find a third party sales recruiting company would hire the way that we wanted to hire what we thought was best for our clients. Got it. Got it. So you talk about this ultimate sales warrior, right? And how sales warriors are athletes. And you quoted some of, you know, coaches, obviously in sports and professional sports. So warriors, these sales warriors need to be coached like athletes, right? Versus managed like employees. So can you share maybe more about, you know, how do you create this ultimate sales warrior? You know, how does this coaching methodology come into play and how does it actually work? Yeah, sure. So, so first off, you have to hire what we call GUMPS. So again, GUMPS is a fun acronym. My last name, Forrest, so Forrest GUMPS, right? So <laughs> G is goal-oriented. Goal and so goal-oriented means that they wake up every day with a very clearly defined target of, of, of their key account, their prospect, who they're going after. U stands for unleashed. They're unleashed of their, their self-image, their stories, their reluctances, their rules that hold them back. So they're unleashed their fears. M stands for motivated to keep prospecting even when they get ghosted. A lot of times people have goals in life, but they don't have the energy to follow through psychologically and physical. And then last is P for procedural base. So one of my backgrounds is in neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro is brain, linguistics is our speech pattern. And what's been proven by science and psychology is the way we speak is a window into how we think and how we think drives how we feel and how we feel our emotions connect or control our actual behaviors. So we do we do things very simply and it's based on how we feel about it. We feel confident or scared. And so the, one of the meta patterns in the brain is procedural or option-based. So procedural means this person is, is willing and able to follow a step-by-step procedure or process that leads to predictable success. Uh, a lot of salespeople are not. They're, they, they're kind of more mavericky in their approach, and that leads to inconsistent or unpredictable success. And, and so, so I think it's very, very important that you hire correctly. You know, And so again, we, we, we use 
a very, you know, we use outside assessments and we use a very strict hiring process a protocol that I developed through NLP questions to make sure we hire scientifically correct. And then when they don't make it, it's very important to always kind of, you know, if you had this hypothesis of, of the hiring process you're going to use, you need to test it. And then if it doesn't work, then you need to pivot and make little adjustments and tweaks from a scientific perspective. And I, I don't think, I don't think most organizations really put enough discipline into into their hiring process. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fact that you have all the science behind, you know, behind all of the methodology. It's not just, you know, art. I think we try to combine sort of this art and science and try to, you know, remove as much of this art and put as much science behind it. But like, literally, this is a very scientific method to approaching how you hire, how you onboard, how you train. So with that, like, what do you see organizations, I guess, you know, doing wrong when it comes to, you know, training or onboarding? new salespeople. Sure. Yeah. So I would say just to kind of rattle off a few. So step one is uh, they don't have a clear expectation. They don't have a clear onboarding program period. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as, you know, like right now, everyone write this down, you know, what, what do you want to, what do you want to see, feel, and hear in your sales professional? We call them a sales warrior. So what do you want to see, feel, or hear in your sales professional by the end of week one, by the end of week two? Week three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. That's 90 days. So what do you want to see, feel, or hear by the end of blank? That's, that defines the outcome. And one of the things that we know and uh, separate successful people and unsuccessful people is they have a clearly defined outcome. Mm-hmm. And so right now, if you're not liking, you know, the results of your onboarding process, well, I, I would, I would assume you're not, you don't have a clearly defined outcome as far as what you're trying to accomplish. So once you figure that out, then of course the next question is, well, you know, what's important to you about that? What's important to you about wanting to see, feel, or hear that by blank? And then the third question would be, would be, you know, what's your strategy on how you're going to get there? And then the fourth question would be, you know, what additional resources do you need to make it happen internally or externally? Maybe need other departments to help you out. So, like, let me give you a, an example. Like in our company, and we we recommend our clients do the same thing. You, you know, I, when I do, I developed an onboarding on, onboarding process in my own organization. This is for every employee, not just salespeople. But I made a list of all the things that, you know, all the all the reasons why salespeople fail. Like, what are the key attributes of why salespeople fail in an organization? Why do they succeed? You know, and then what I what I figured out is, well, what if I could just tell a salesperson this, like, all in week one? Instead of like, instead of them letting them figure out through experience why salespeople fail mm-hmm. or instead of waiting until they get, until they get, till they make a mistake and writing them up and telling them, Hey, don't do that in the future. What if I just like tell them, what if I just like tell them all the rules of the game, like in week one and be like brutally <laughs> candid with them, like brutally yeah. honest of this is why people fail. This is why they succeed. And so like, that's what we do. So now to make it easy on us. So because sometimes I think leaders kind of kind of get they kind of chicken out and they don't <laughs> you know, want to be brutally honest with people. And so so we actually instruct or we create those questions. So like so when I have a new employee, they'll sit down with me and they'll say, you know, tell me why salespeople fail in this organization. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me what you need to see in me to say that I'm going to make it here. Tell me, you know, why why salespeople have been fired here in the past. Mm-hmm. Like they ask these brutal <laughs> questions to me that are pre-written in their onboarding guide so that we give them the rules of the yeah. game. Very transparent, very simple. You know? Yeah, I'm actually surprised that more people don't do that. 
I just, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know if they want to be that candid. I think in our world today, I think we're, we, we maybe are scared of being so transparent with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that is, but, but, but again, I, I think it's, I think there's a lack of integrity issue if we don't tell people, you know, again, how to win the game and how people lose at the game. Yep. And I think it's important to let people know that. So that's what we, you know, I think, so that, that would be something I would, again, there's so much you can do when it comes to onboarding, but I, I would say that's cr- critical. The other thing that I would say is critical when it comes to onboarding is um, the direct manager. So in this case it would be the sales manager uh, needs to meet, be meeting with them on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I call it a daily huddle. Um, that huddle can be with that person or more importantly, like a group of two or three people. Mm-hmm. And it's just going over, Hey, what's your focus for today? Why is it your focus? What's your strategy? How are you going to get there? And what resources do you need right now? Where are you stumped? Those four simple questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they need to have a, a weekly one-on-one with them as well to, for the first, at least for the first 90 days to go over what, what they're supposed to do. Remember, I remember said earlier, what do you want to see, feel, or hear? Yep. So as a leader, you need to figure out what do you want to see for here. Well, then you need to, you need to share that information with your employee mm-hmm. and then you need to meet with them every week to go over. Are they on track of what you want to see filler, see fill in mm-hmm. here? <laughs> Look, it's real, it's real simple. It's real transparent. It's real simple, you know? And, and, and so I'm very big on, you know, you need to manage the contract, not the person. Mm. So the contract means this is what they've signed up for. This is what they want, right? Yep. So I'm going to manage to the contract. Yeah, it sounds so simple, but I don't know. I can't think of how many, how often I've actually seen that happen, right? Where each week you're actually going through the results, actually talking about the expectations. Why do you think that is? Do you think that, you know, part of it is that sort of being transparent, maybe sometimes people are afraid of doing that, but do you also think they just get caught up? Like they get busy, they talk about business, there's just no focus. Like what are some of the reasons you think that, you know, sales leaders aren't doing that? So, so number one would be just, again, not having that, those clear, expectations as far as you, what you want to see for here. So mm-hmm. the, the leader themselves doesn't know. They haven't taken the time to, to, to be objective with themselves. And then, and then uh, number two is we haven't, you know, actually shared that information with, you know, with the, the, the candidate, with the employee. And then number three, it's just, it's just not scheduled. Mm-hmm. You know, it just needs to be a reoccurring meeting on the calendar that, you know, every Friday at two o'clock, you know, we're going to meet for 30 minutes and we're going to go over, you know, what we need to see, feel, and hear. And, but the reason this is so important as well is because the research says that a sales, a sales warrior, the performance that they give you or the activity or who they are that they give you on day 90 has an 80% correlation to where they're going to be on month 12. Mm-hmm. So that's the research. That's the science. That's the stat. So, so that's, that's why I'm so big on, you know, don't, 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 you know, kind of half bake the first 90 days. Like you, you really got to put everything into the first 90 days because at the end of day 90, you have to ask yourself a very important question. That is, you know, if they don't, if they don't really change that much for the next, you know, nine months, then am I going to be happy with who they are right now? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, they need to change dramatically for me to be happy with who they are. They're way behind with what they're doing right now. Then you probably should start over and cut them, cut them loose. But the mistake most people make is that they, you know, they, they, you know, they don't, they don't make that adjustment until let's say, you know, month 16 or 17. And then you you meet with them and you go, well, you know, did you, did you know all along that they were going to be like this? Like if you were to go back to like day 90 and say, you know, did you think this person would have made it? Are you surprised? Like did something change from, 
you know, month three to month 15. Mm -hmm. And and majority of the time, the answer is no. Majority of the time, the answer is no, I knew it back then. I just felt like I needed to give him some more time. Okay, well, you don't need to give him more time. (laughs) You need to to give him everything you got in the first 90 days. And then you got to, you know, you got to decide. That's great advice. I love that. I think that's really, that's really good advice. You know, as part of helping, you know, salespeople be successful, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, you talk about these mental leashes, right, that hold people back. I believe there's four and I think they're around stories, will, reluctance and self image. I'm not sure if I got all of those right, but hopefully I got those right. But can you share more about these four leashes? You know, this is super interesting to me when I was reading a little bit about it. And I was really looking forward to kind of diving deeper into this with you. Because um, I think this really applies not just to salespeople, but to anyone, right, to really be successful. You know, so how are these leashes, um, you know, preventing salespeople from being successful or any person? And, you know, what should individuals be really thinking about to sort of overcome these? Great question. Yeah. So, I mean, this is really, yeah, this is a big portion of, of our, of our program. And again, in the book, the mindset of a sales warrior, I go into this in much more detail, but it's a, a very simple formula people can write down and that is performance equals knowledge minus leashes. So performance is what we do. Knowledge is what we've been taught to do. And a leash is any mental resistance that holds us back from doing it. So for example, what did you learn so far today on this, on this, this great podcast, you learned that you need to immediately you know, create a, 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 what do you need to see, feel, or hear in the first 90 days? And you need to give that um, information to your new recruit. And you need to have a weekly conversation with them to figure out if they're upholding the contract. So there's a lot of things we've gone over so far. So that's the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it should be performance equals knowledge. But the nice thing about the human race is that we are human and we have free will and we could decide if we're going <laughs> to do it or not. <laughs> so, so, so if you, if you decide, if you go, you know what, I really like what Jason said. I think that stuff's really great. Then my question is, a week from now, what stops you from doing it? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm proposing right now, my hypothesis is it's one of those four leashes, is that you would say, you know, there would be, well, I, I'm not doing it because, I don't know, I just, I feel, I feel maybe a little bit awkward kind of being that candid with a new person. And that would be, that would be self-image. That's, I don't really identify with that style of leadership. I feel a little more, you know, my, my style of leadership is a little bit more kind of mentoring. And you're like, okay, what do you mean by that, Jason? Well, my, I'm a mentor style leadership, meaning that I'm, I always let people know that I'm here for them, but um, I don't like directly coach them. You know, I'm just, I'm just there. If they need something, they can come to me, but I don't like prescribe anything to them. Like that's a leadership style of someone. That's a self-image leadership style. Okay. Well, that's incongruent with what I'm asking you to do. The second one would be a story and a story is something outside of me. So, okay, so why didn't you, so tell me what stopped you from doing what you learned today? Well, what stopped me is that uh, I just haven't had time. I mean, there's just, I've had all these other, it's the end of the year, end of the quarter, and there's just all these other priorities. And, you know, I just, I think it's really good stuff, but I haven't gotten, I just, I just, other, other fires have, have kind of gotten, you know, gotten, gotten over me. And so I'm just not, I just, I'm going to do it later. That's a story. A fear would be the third one. So I call it a reluctance or, or fear. The reluctance would be, you know, well, I just, I don't want to come across too pushy, I feel like that's a, it's a very, maybe it's a little too aggressive for me. I'm a little more gentle in my style. So that could be a fear or, you know, I really want, you know, the person I'm working with right now that, that I just hired, that's a new recruit. They're also like a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just feel like, you know, being a friend of mine, I need to treat them differently or, you know what, this person's like been doing this for 40 years. And I just think it's kind of silly to be that kind of micromanaging with that person's been doing it for 40 years. And so I'm just gonna do it differently with them too. Okay. That's a reluctance. Mm-hmm. And then last is a rule. And a rule is anything I need to see, feel, or hear to, to engage. And you go, okay, so what stopped you with that? With what stopped you using it? Well, you know, I, 
I can't, I, I definitely will use this information, but only when the person makes a mistake. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I make a mistake, I need to see them make a mistake and then I'll tell them how they're making a mistake. But my, in my perspective though, I don't need to tell them what the problem is going to be uh, before there's a problem. I need to tell them, you know, only if they make a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's your rule. So it's self-image story, reluctance and rule. Well, that's to your point. It's, it's, I didn't invent this stuff. This is just what everyone this is what all the great psychologists and NLP masters and, you know, performance, the Brene Browns of the world. I mean, they all talk about these different things, self-image story, reluctances and rules. I just combined all of theirs together and came up with these four main categories of what I call leashes and then applied it specifically to sales. But to your point, it applies to anyone. So like Simone Biles, let's just, let's just, let's just talk about that elephant in the room, <laughs> right? So Simone Biles, you know, she choked, she choked at the Olympics. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's a harsh word, but that's the, that's the reality of it. She choked at the Olympics. Okay. Well, why did she choke? Well, she said it's because of, 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 of this thing in her head, right? Well, that's a leash. There was some kind of self-image story, reluctance or rule that got in the way of her performing. She knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's done it before, not a problem, but she choked. And, and, and so now what about Suni Lee? Suni Lee was the alternate. And Suni Lee, you know, the, the conversation was, hey, Suni, you're not going to believe this, but, you know, Simone is, is completely choked and she's out of the, out of the thing, you know, and, and she, she, you're, the, you're the runner up and you got to do this now. And, and Suni Lee jumps in there. Now, they both have been taught exactly how to perform this routine. They both have the right knowledge, but Suni had less leashes in that moment. Therefore, she performed. Got it. Yep. See? Well, that's. The reason why I use that metaphor is because that's a, that's a, that's a salesperson thing. Salespeople are, you know, every single time they are talking to a prospect, they're having a Simone Biles, Suni Lee moment. Do they choke and blame it on something or do they step up and take care of it? Got it. Got it. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to have to definitely dig into more about that in your book. So let's shift gears a little bit and go back to a little bit about recruiting, right? Because I think with the job market, you know, it's really picking up. We keep hearing that, you know, recruiting sales talent is so incredibly challenging. And I think it's always been challenging to get good talent, but even more so, right, in the market now. So what are some of the things that you think leaders should be thinking about, you know, in today's environment when it comes to recruiting and hiring for sales? Like, do you have any sort of tips for them or anything that they really should be top of mind? So one, so, you know, I I mean, really a a lot of it can go back to what we've even talked about is, you know, again, what do you need to see, feel, and feel and hear that says this person is going to succeed or not? And, 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 and what can you connect the dots to, to an interview, Mm -hmm. right? So what are the kind of leading indicators of a person in interview that you feel like is going to be able to do what you're wanting them to do? I think that's important. I also think it's important to constantly analyze and assess your top producers versus your middle versus your bottom because you need to see trends. The trend is your friend and you need to look at your players like a baseball team looks at their, their athletes. You know, you need to look at those stats and you look at what are, what connects the dots. I'm a huge fan of assessments. We use a behavioral assessment. If you contact us at FPG, we can actually sell you the assessment as well. And, and uh, if anyone's interested, I'll give you a free assessment just to test because I'm such a fan of it, but it will measure behaviorally. It will measure 16 different types of reluctances. Mm. So it'll measure the, the actual fear that people have. It'll measure their goal clarity, their motivation, their fear. But I mean, that's important because the, the mistake that most recruiters make is they've got their own fear. They have their own leashes. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a recruiter or let's say you're, you know, an HR person, or salesman, whomever you are, and you, you, you yourself have a certain reluctance or a leash, 
Well, you're going to project that on the people that you hire, which means you potentially could be hiring the people you don't want to mm-hmm. hire. <laughs> That's right. And that could, that could be a mistake. I mean, I've had a lot of people that will say, you know, Jason, you know, like, for example, this is a point I always make a lot is they'll say, well, Jason, you know, I, I just don't know if I'd want you to work for my culture. I mean, you're just, you're, you're just, you're very, you're a very assertive salesperson. And I'm just not sure if that would fit with well with us. And my next question back would be, but what if I sold against you? Mm-hmm. And then your answer would be like, well, that would be horrible. <laughs> okay. Well, then I think we need to look at who's hiring who, right? Who's interviewing, you know what I mean? That's, and, and, and that's important, right? Yeah. So, but, but, but what happened, what I'm presupposing right now is the recruiter that's making that hire probably has some sort of intimidation about salespeople. And so someone like me might be kind of weeded out and that happens a lot. And that's why we've created our own recruiting company to, you know, kind of, kind of solve that or fix that problem, which I think is huge. So I think third-party assessments are huge. It, it takes the biases out. I think having structured interview questions is huge. Most you know, so many times when we recruit salespeople, we kind of just, again, kind of wing it, but you need structure interview questions because you want to test it, you know, ask these 10 questions to 10 candidates, look at their answers, type out their exact answers. So you can scientifically see, I ask question a, here's the, here's the answer I get. And then if you decide to hire that one candidate out of those 10, well, then then you need to track them. And are they a top performer? Are they an average performer? And then go back, Hey, what did that person say? Well, you know what? That was a top performer. Great. Okay. Now we know the kind of responses a top performer is going to say to compare maybe an average performer. So now you have these old cheat sheets mm-hmm. and now your now your recruiters can see, Hey, ask these 10 questions and you're looking for these type of responses. If they answer this, there's a predictive quality about it that we think they're going to perform at a certain level because of how they think. Remember, because my presupposition is how a person speaks is congruent to how they think and how they think controls what they do. Mm-hmm. So that's my hypothesis. And that's why I'm trying to connect the dots to their words and to their belief systems. And those beliefs drive uh, their behaviors and drive their results. Got it. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. As I think about, you know, the revenue engine and this podcast, I'm always hoping, right, that others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth and sort of power that revenue engine. So as a CEO and, you know, founder yourself, from your perspective, what are the top, you know, couple of things, maybe two or three things that you think all CEOs or founders should be thinking about like right now to really, you know, establish that right framework to drive revenue? Great question. So number one, I would say, I would say if you were to start your company over today, how many salespeople on your team right now are you, would you, would you rehire back? Mm Mm-hmm. How many would you, if you were to start over today, how many salespeople would you rehire back? Meaning that, meaning that how many of your salespeople are so good that when your competition goes up against you, they're afraid of your salespeople. Mm. They're afraid. You know, I think that's an important question. Yeah. You know? I think another question would be, would be how much coaching is really happening? You know, are your, are your salespeople improving? Mm-hmm. You know, are they are there, is their conversion rate improving? Is their absorption rate improving? Is their profit per sale improving? And if it's not, then what's stopping that from happening? And maybe you need training to, to help them. Maybe you need some sales managers to coach. Maybe you need the sales managers need to learn how to coach. Most managers have never been taught how to right. coach. <laughs> That's right. That's usually, a, you know, there's, more, there's way more, I mean, very few companies will ever train their salespeople how to sell but even fewer companies will train their managers how to be leaders and coaches. Yep. So, 
So that's, I think those are some critical thinking things that you should be thinking about. And then, you know, I'm always a big fan of being productively paranoid, which is from the book, um, Great by Choice. And the productively paranoid concept is, is, you know, what if, what if the economy goes down by 30%? What am I going to do? What, what if, what if my biggest competitor decides to slash the price by 20%? You know, and now I'm in a different situation. So am I prepared for that? Mm-hmm. You know, what are my people saying out there right now? And so I think all those things are very critical so that you can be prepared for, again, whatever is going to come your way. I'm a big fan of there's an economic seasonality of things. And I think I don't think the 2020 year was our uh, most our toughest year. I think that there's a tougher year coming, in my opinion. So but my question is, are salespeople prepared for that? Got it. Got it. When you, when you look back at, you know, just your career and sort of your business, is there anything that you wish that you maybe knew earlier or maybe that you would do differently yourself if you could go back and do it all over again? I I would say, I would say, (laughs) this is going to probably sound silly me saying this, but (laughs) I I would say, speak my truth faster. Hmm. Speak my truth faster. You know, I, I, I'm 43 years old and I think, you know, I think as people get older, I think they speak their truth even more. (laughs) Yes. Like what's really true to them? What's true? Like, what do you, be- what do you really believe? You know, that's why the older people are always into the politics and the younger people are not, you know, older people have values that younger people don't. And so, so I would just say, you know, if, if I could go back, it's, it's, Hey, be bold, you know, be bold and, and, and speak, speak what's true to you, you know, in your twenties and maybe don't wait to your thirties before you open your, open your mouth and speak what's important to you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I definitely, (laughs) that definitely resonates with me. (laughs) So, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jason. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I was asked two things. One is, you know, what is that one thing about Jason Forrest that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you really want everyone to know about you? And sometimes they're the same thing when I ask these two questions to the guests, but something something that people would be surprised to learn and something that you would love everyone to know about you. I mean, I think surprised is, I mean, you know, I, I read probably a book a week now and I've written seven books in my career and, and different training programs. We, we put, produce two big training programs a quarter that I write all of them. And, but I mean, I was a C student in high school and, you know, I was not, I was not into academics in high school. I was more into sports. And, and so it wasn't until I went to college that I really had this kind of new epiphany, you know, of, of, you know, growing my brain more than growing my body <laughs> and, and, you know, this, the, the, the philosophy and the value of that. And so, so I think that's, that's probably, you know, some, something that, you know, if people aren't reading or aren't studying, I mean, you know, just, just got to start, start doing it. Right. And then, I mean, I think, I think the other thing would be that again, you know, my, my personal mission, it's always been this way. And that's to ignite the pride, purpose and respect professional, professional selling. And I just think that, you know, there are too many people out there that are not, uh, you know, that we don't, we don't, we don't, we always kind of frown upon salespeople, you know, but my belief system is that the reason we frown upon salespeople is because they haven't properly been trained. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are, there are more jobs on the marketplace for sales. than There is any other single job, yeah. but less than 3% of colleges teach selling. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's a more demand, there's a greater demand mm-hmm. For the for the profession of selling than any other single profession, but yet less than three percent uh, of colleges actually teach it. So, so I so that's what I'm trying to do is just is bring back that or ignite that professionalism, um, 
you know, that, that, that is what salespeople's, you know, what sales professionals can really be. I love that. I love that. And you are definitely on a mission and doing a lot to move to, in that movement. So really appreciate your time um, today, Jason. It's been a pleasure really to chat with you. And there's just so much learning. I mean, in the, in the 30 minutes that we talked, I mean, you've just dropped so much, <laughs> so much knowledge. I can't wait to go back and just listen to it all. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 